Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, friends, we are, this is the penultimate Sunday of our series on the politics of Jesus. Uh, penultimate is a word that I really enjoy that uh, I'm glad I get to use today. It's one of my favorite words. It just means not quite the last, but next to last. And that is uh, the Sunday that we're on here. We're talking about living uh, the politics of Jesus in a partisan America. The election is over. There is a sense of relief for many. However, uh, there is still so much uncertainty, uh, so much division about what this all means for us as we think about the American political landscape as we think about a pandemic that continues to rage and uh, get worse than it ever has been. Uh, friends, I think the easy options are the ones that we've been talking about. Um, it's easy to get sucked into an us versus them antagonism uh, and the, the polarities of American politics, uh, choose a side and kind of throw rocks at the other one. Um, or uh, I think another temptation that a lot of us feel is to try to just, you know what, throw it all away, just stay above it all. Um, ignore it, both sides it, whatever we might want to uh, call that temptation. That is also one of our temptations that we feel in this uh, season. But what we're claiming is that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us something different um, than uh, either of those options, that Jesus gives us nothing less than this new way of being human in the world, um, a political imagination, a political order rooted in love, and justice. So let's quickly review. This is the last part of the sermon that we've read today, but let's quickly review where we've been. Obviously, this normally uh, would have been something Jesus spoke and something that people had in their minds kind of all together. Um, and so uh, just to kind of get the full aspect of the sermon in our minds, um, let's review. Uh, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes, um, which are not shoulds, but rather these declarations of God's blessing on the hopeless unblessables, so to speak. Uh, the losers in life find themselves in first place in God's kingdom. Then Jesus reveals the politics of this kingdom, this new way of being human that's capable of living out God's law in this integrated, holistic way. This is a politic of love and justice that goes deeper than the politics of the scribes and Pharisees who had turned the law into a way of manipulating others, in a way, into a way of maintaining their status and their privilege and oppress, uh, oppressing the weak and the vulnerable. And Jesus gives us then illustrations as he talks about anger and lust and oaths and all of these things. He's giving us illustrations about this new way of being human, what this lives like in the nitty gritty of our everyday lives. In the midst of our anger, in the midst of our desire to see, uh, to use and exploit each other, uh, the way that we use our words and our piety in order to maintain power and privilege over one another, Jesus reveals instead this possibility of a truly transformed heart a truly and truly transformed social relationships where we learn to lay aside power games and instead forgive those who hurt us, pray for those who persecute us, speak truth to power, but also love our enemies who want to harm us. Jesus speaks to our fear of not having enough, which drives, out, uh, which drives a lot of our oppression of each other. It's worth noting. And he proclaims this generous abundance of our heavenly father who promises to take care of us. And so we don't need to condemn each other. Instead, we're free to process our own kairoses. <laughs> Praise be to God. So that we can be patient and generous with each other, learning the simple way of asking for what we want, both in prayer and with each other. That's a quick overview. 
of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we finish the sermon itself, Matthew 7, 13 through 29, where Jesus doesn't actually give us any more substantive teaching. That's the interesting part about the end of the sermon here. But rather he concludes by simply saying over and over again, you actually need to do this <laughs> if it's going to be of any use to you. If for this to bear fruit in your life, you actually have to put it into practice. So friends, today we proclaim this good news in a world that runs on the superficial status games of impressions and clicks and likes, Jesus opens the way for us to actually participate in God's new way of being human, living out the politics of love and justice in our bodies and in our relationships by simply putting his teaching into practice, trusting that God's power will meet us in our weakness. So I imagine Jesus, have you guys ever seen that, that, that silly... Um, inspirational video that Shia LaBeouf put out a while back where he's like talking to the camera and he's just saying, just do it. And he's like trying to pump you up to just like go follow your dreams and all that kind of stuff. I kind of imagine, I hope this isn't sacrilegious, but I kind of imagine Jesus doing this right here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us all this teaching. He gives us this beautiful political vision. And now he's saying, just do it. You have to put it into practice. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Um, maybe not all of it, but this is what Jesus is saying here. It, and it's very similar to what we read in the Old Testament passage of Deuteronomy, where Moses is doing the same thing. He's laying out the law. He said, God is saying, here's how you live with each other. And he spends a lot of time at the end of Deuteronomy just saying, I've set before you life and death. Now choose life that you may live. Like apparently we need a lot of encouragement <laughs> to actually choose life. Uh, and Jesus does this for us. And I think that Jesus does this for, for his hearers and for us, because the temptation here, I think for us at the end of the sermon, of this beautiful new vision of God's new way of being human in God's kingdom, this beautiful vision, the temptation is to think that our work is done now that we've heard it, to think that our work is done now that we get it. And I'm you know pointing to my, to my head there. We get it in our heads. To think that it's enough to be on the right team. It's enough to, that we go to the right church. Man, I'm sure glad I go to a church where this stuff is preached. And we, and we stop there. It's simply enough to know that the Pharisees are wrong about justice. And we're content to just know that, hey, we're, we know what's up because we're out here listening to Jesus in the wilderness. We know what's up because we're on the right team. We know what's up because we go to the right church. We know what's up because I know how to post this stuff on social media. I know how to create an impression. I know how to be part of the right team. And so Jesus, I think, understood this very subtle temptation to use knowledge as a way of avoiding our actual discipleship in our bodies, to be content to just give the right impression to others, to demonstrate that I get it. And today we have technology to do this, right? Um, did you guys realize on Zoom, many of you might be doing this right now, but on Zoom, you can touch up your appearance. I learned this a few weeks ago. There's a, there's a setting to touch up your appearance on Zoom. And I thought, oh, that, that sounds kind of interesting. And so I tried it for like one call, uh, but I didn't like what it was doing to my soul. Um, plus, I didn't really notice any difference. But you know what I mean? Like you can, touch up your, <laughs> you can touch up your appearance on Zoom. And obviously, Snapchat, Instagram, they have all these filters that do this kind of thing as well. Some of them are just silly filters. But some of them are, are filters that kind of make you look like a supermodel. Uh, they, never, they never work on me. I don't know what that says about me. But um, but you guys know this, we have technology, right? Where we can curate these different versions of ourselves on these different social media platforms for others to consume and be impressed by. We've created this world where what we see and post online feels like reality. 
And it's becoming more and more difficult to discern what's real and what's just a TV show, what's just happening online or in the news. Is there anything real behind this? We have these social media bubbles now, right? Where uh, the, the algorithms have determined what we're gonna see on social media. And so we tend to see more and more of the stuff we already agree with, which is just convenient. For, I mean, Facebook is not diabolical here. They're just programmed to keep you on Facebook. That's their interest, right? And so uh, we see stuff we already agree with. We see a version of reality that we think is real, but actually there's a lot that might not be real. We have this virtual world where a lot of the people who are posting such uh, like really antagonistic comments on your Facebook posts are not even real people. A lot of these people are bots that are programmed to create strife, to create antagonism. A lot of them are fake accounts. So it becomes difficult uh, to know how to navigate this life when it's all rooted in impressions and likes and clicks. But Jesus' political vision here, folks, and what he says right here at the end of the sentence, uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, it grounds us in our human bodies, our actual unmediated relationships with each other, unfiltered by these massive corporations that are trying to spy on our conversations in order to sell us stuff. So friends, in a world that runs on the superficial status games of impressions and likes and clicks and Zoom filters and everything else, Jesus opens the way for us to actually participate in God's new way of being human, living out the politics of love and justice in our bodies, in our relationships, by simply putting his teaching into practice, trusting God's power to meet us in our weakness. So Jesus gives us right here four metaphors to help us see this reality. Very quickly, we'll go through these and we'll turn to prayer. He talks about two gates. Going along with what other people are doing is dangerous for our discipleship, he says. That's the broad gate. It's the wide road, and it actually leads to destruction. The narrow gate leads to life, but it requires intention. It requires devotion. It requires uh, specificity. Uh, by the way, the narrow gate, I, I grew up thinking the narrow gate was correct doctrine uh, or right behavior, but it's not. Jesus is going to show us uh, with the last illustration that the narrow gate is simple obedience to what Jesus is calling us to do. It's intentionally putting his teaching into practice in our bodies in our relationships. Jesus then warns about two prophets, and he uses the illustration of two trees. He warns us about false prophets, those that look good on the outside, but what they do in their bodies and in their relationships reveals their true nature. They're vicious wolves. They're seeking to use the sheep for their own purposes, and following them leads to destruction again. <laughs> um, and the fruit, Jesus says, you can tell them by their fruit. Um, fruit is not how big their church is, Fruit is not how good they look on Instagram. Fruit is not uh, how awesome their sermons are. Fruit is not how many followers they have on social media. Fruit is not how sound their doctrine is. Fruit is the kind of person they are, how they're following Jesus in their bodies, in their relationships. Jesus talks about two different kinds of disciples. It's not enough to say the right things, Lord, Lord, or even do impressive things. Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do all these things in your name? But Jesus says there's a difference between acting and doing impressive things in my name and knowing me. And so he says, I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> We've never interacted. <laughs> that's, that's an impressive one for me. I, I think about that one a lot. What Jesus says is that the true disciple is the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, which is to trust Jesus to be present with you here and now to empower you to put his teaching into practice in your body, 
in your relationships. And the final picture that Jesus gives us is of two builders. This is a well-known image. The wise builder who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice, and the fool who hears Jesus' words and does not put them into practice. Notice what's exactly the same for both builders. They both hear Jesus' words. They both build a house. They both experience rain falling, floodwaters rising, wind blowing and beating against the house, but the results are drastically different. They couldn't be more different. One house stands and the other falls and is completely destroyed. Both builders heard Jesus' words. The difference is one puts them into practice and the other doesn't. So friends, in a world that runs on the superficial status games of impressions and clicks and likes, being on the right team, Zoom filters, <laughs> Jesus opens the way for us to actually participate in God's new way of being human, living out the politics of love and justice in our bodies, in our relationships, by simply putting his teaching into practice and trusting God's power to meet us in our weakness. So it's not enough to be on the right team. It's not enough to go to the right church. It's not enough to post the right stuff on social media. It's not enough to vote the right way. It's not enough to think that Jesus is awesome. It's not enough to be a fan of Jesus. We must put his politic into practice in our bodies, in our relationships. And I want to suggest that doing so is both hard and easy. It's both hard and easy. It's hard in the sense that this is a completely new way of life that we have to learn. It's going to take a lifetime to, to get this into our bodies so that our instincts change. We have to allow God to do some very deep work in our souls for us to become holy. But it's also easy in the sense that all that's required of us is to take a step, one step of faith. What's your next step of faith? This is why we focus on Kairos in our DNA groups. Because that focuses on what, like what's happening right now. Where can you trust Jesus right now? So it, it, in one sense, it's hard, yes, to do this. Jesus says that as much. The road is difficult to, to go through the narrow gate. But it's also easy because all that's required of us is to take one little step of faith, trusting that God's presence and power is actually going to meet us as we take the step of faith to work transformation in us as we walk. So, for example, if you find yourself indulging, maybe in your thoughts or in your actions, in your speech, in condemnation of your enemies, those who you uh, fear are out to harm you, those idiots out there who are ruining everything, if you're condemning them in your mind or condemning them in your speech, the simple step of faith to put Jesus' teaching into practice, you're not going to become a, a, a hugely loving person overnight. But one thing you can do to take a step of faith would be to, to trust Jesus in that moment and just pray for them instead. Does that make sense? That's putting Jesus' teaching into practice to say, oh, I'm condemning my enemies. Instead, I will pray. I will pray that God will bless them. That's an act of faith and trust that I can do. And as I do it and I find myself uh, struggling, God's power meets us. It's something we can do in our bodies, in our relationships, and we trust that as we do it, God meets us in our weakness. He meets us with his transforming power so that we grow more and more into the people who will be able to naturally, as a matter of instinct, love and bless our enemies. That it won't always be hard. So it's hard, yes. It's a, big, it's a long work for a lifetime, but it's also easy. It's easy to just put Jesus' teaching into practice in very practical ways, in small ways in our lives. 
So we trust that God's power is going to meet us as we put his teaching into practice. Dallas Willard was once asked, what would you say to someone who they're not a Christian, but they're interested in faith, maybe? Um, what would you say to them? How would you evangelize them was the question uh, that was put to Dallas Willard. And he said, well, he said, I think I would tell them to read the Gospels. And as soon as they came to a place where Jesus said something that seemed like a good idea, to try it. And then when you fail, ask him for help. That's basically what I'm saying <laughs> to us today, friends. We have to put the politics of Jesus into practice. Uh, so that's just going to take faith. It's going to take faith to bless our enemies instead of curse them. But there's also the reality that we're going to fail. And then we turn to what Deb preached uh, several weeks ago for us, that prayer is the place where we encounter God's power and his presence to transform us into the kind of people who can learn how to do this. The last thing I want to say, friends, is that the stakes are really high for us. Um, I don't want to I guess I just want to, I just want us to notice that in all of Jesus' illustrations, the stakes aren't, you know, uh, one thing is one color and another thing is another color. <laughs> the stakes aren't between like, you could have a pretty good life or a really great life. The stakes here are destruction and life. Each of these metaphors is talking about destruction and life. And this is what uh, Moses uh, gives us in the word from Deuteronomy. The stakes are really high. The choice Jesus presents us with is death and life. And so our response to Jesus' words here is a matter of life and death for us, for, for our church, and for the world. The stakes are really high. The kingdom of God, friends, is real. The politics of Jesus are possible. And we encounter this reality as we put his teaching into practice in our bodies, in our relationships, and then turning to him in prayer to receive power to live this stuff out. Friends, today, where is Jesus calling you to this simple obedience, this simple trust? What small step can you take today in your body and in your relationships to enter through the narrow gate and find life, the life that Jesus promises us in this Sermon on the Mount? Friends, in a world that runs on superficial status games, impressions, clicks, likes, Jesus opens the way for us to actually participate in God's new way of being human, living out the politics of love and justice in our bodies, in our relationships, by simply putting his teaching into practice, trusting God's power to meet us in our weakness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.